thing too. Uh, as we move into our message time today, we're, we made it through the Sermon on the Mount, so today we're kind of doing a, a special sermon, uh, and I may start a series after this, but uh, we want to look together at the story of Joseph. The story of Joseph. The story of Joseph takes up 20 to 25 percent of the very first book of the Bible of Genesis, and uh, and I think part of that is because it's such a powerful story that gives us a paradigm for understanding how God works. And uh, you notice the sermon title maybe today, you know, when I can't see the future, God sees. And uh, so I want to share this story with you some today. And to do that, I'm going to do my best to pretend I'm Joseph for a good bit of the message. And so bear with me for that. I don't have a super technicolor dream coat, but, uh, but I'll tell you a little more about that in a second. But let's begin with prayer. I'll, I'll actually read our scriptures more toward the end of the story, okay? Father God, we thank you again for this moment and this day. Uh, Lord, we thank you so much for the story of Joseph. A Joseph who uh, lived an amazing life. And in that life also showed us uh, the life of Jesus Christ and the kind of life that uh, you, our Lord and Savior, would walk as well. And so, Jesus, help us see you in this story and help us trust you and your Father and the Spirit in this story that it may give us strength for today and uh, hope for the days ahead. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm Joseph. If you don't know who I am, I've got 10 older brothers, 12 brothers in total. And that's just a challenge right there. If you've ever tried to be number 11 of 10 boys, well, then you don't know what hardship and suffering is. But I do. But really, things weren't all that bad until early on in my life. Um, well... I loved my mom at an early age, but when I got to be a little boy, I remember that my baby brother was coming. And we were excited about it. Mom's belly grew bit by bit and got bigger and bigger, and we were excited for my baby brother to come and arrive on the scene. And the day came, and I heard the cries of my new baby brother, but I also heard my mom crying too, crying and screaming in ways that were unexpected. And the, the nurse couldn't help her out. The midwife couldn't do anything to save her. And I remember as a little kid losing my mom at an early age and having to bury her. We couldn't even bury her at the side of my family. We had to bury her along the side of the road in the middle of Canaan. And that was hurt, hurtful. It was hard to get over, hard to move beyond. Um, but as I did get older, I guess what helped me the most is the belief my dad had in me. Now, you may not know this, but my dad thought I was the best of all 12 of us. And he was convinced that I was better than all the others. Now, this didn't make them too happy, but... Uh, I didn't mind. Not only did Dad know I was the best, but God 
knew I was the best too. Now, Dad knew I was the best, and so he gave me a fancy coat. You remember the story of my fancy coat? Now, I wish I could have worn for you a fancy, colorful coat today. I had one when I was about 18 years old. It was one of those Don Johnson Miami Vice kind of coats. You remember those? Uh, kind of the teal with uh, just, just kind of stripes of, of bright pinks and yellows and greens and blues. Uh, but after I got married, that coat disappeared pretty quickly. I think Andrea had something to do with it. So I, I don't know. I guess she didn't like me looking like Don Johnson. I'm not sure. Anyway, this is the best I'll do. But Dad gave me his favorite coat, and I loved wearing it, and my brothers hated it. But not only did Dad love me the most, but God knew I was the best too. You see, when I was a teenager, I began to get these dreams at night, and they just kept knocking me over the head, and I, of course, I just had to share them with everybody. The first dream, I see all my siblings, my older brothers, who are like way older, would bow at my feet, in, in praise and worship. And so, of course, you know, being the baby brother, I had to go and tell them all about it. And they didn't like that one bit. Uh, in fact, they seemed to get more upset with me the more I would talk about it. You see, because I was also the one that would always get them in trouble. Whenever they were doing something they shouldn't be doing, guess who was the one that found out? Guess who was the one that would go and tell Dad, hey, you know my brothers, they're doing this again. You need to know about that. Ooh, my brothers didn't like that either. But then I had a second dream. And in the second dream, I saw the sun, moon, and stars all bowing down at my feet. And I told this dream to my dad. My dad was like, son, are you serious? One day, your mom and I and the whole family are going to bow down at your feet? Now, I like you a lot. You are my favorite, but I'm not so sure about this. Well, I was like, God, bring it on. I'm ready to go. Yes, I'm the little guy in this family, but uh, I'm ready to, to be in charge and to live large and to be prideful and powerful and all those great things. Lord, bring it on. So one day I had the opportunity. My dad was sending me out to check on my brothers again who were herding sheep and they were supposed to be up at the town of Sechem and so I headed to Sechem there to find them and had my snacks along with me and I get there and I, I look at this part of town and I go over to that part of town and I go to this area where they would tend our sheep and I'd go to this and, and they weren't around I was like what in tarnation's going on where did my brothers go and so finally I found a fellow and he said oh yeah I saw your brothers I heard them talking they're taking the sheep down to Dothan. I don't know what they're doing in Alabama, but who knows? <laughs> no, Dothan, Israel. They were over in Dothan. I finally found them. I see them there on a long way off, and they're cutting up and all that good stuff. And I thought, I got them now. Yep, yep, they're all going to be in loads of trouble with Dad. I just got to get this report home to him. Well, unfortunately, they weren't thinking that exact thing instead they were thinking oh here comes the important little guy the young one who's gonna be the upstart and show us all who he is i tell you what we ought to just get rid of him right here right now so by the time i got up to my brothers i 
they grabbed me by the arms. They started punching me in the stomach. They said, we'll see what happens to your dreams. And they threw me into the cistern. And for a while, I'm scared to death because I know a couple of my brothers, they'd rather shoot you than uh, do anything nice to you. And so I'm frightened for my life. And uh, I don't know if it was fortunate or not, but eventually they decide not to kill me. Instead, they decide to sell me as a slave. There happened to be some Ishmaelites going by, some of our cousins. And so they decided to sell me to the cousins for 20, 20 coins of silver. Not a whole lot. I, I guess I ought to be thankful I'm alive, but to be honest, as they put me in, well, as they tied me up and handed me over to the Ishmaelites, I kept thinking, this can't be happening. This can't be happening. You see, that day, I lost my baby brother. I lost my dad. I lost my family. And I was angry. I was upset. Why didn't my brothers do this to me? Do they really hate me that much? I was lost. I was lonely. I was in a foreign land where people didn't talk English or Hebrew either. And I thought, what am I going to do now? I have lost everything. I had to reinvent myself. I had to get free. The only way I could think to get free is if, if I just did my best to be the best kind of person I could be, maybe they would see that and see in me a person that deserves freedom. Well, I got hired by this family named Potiphar. Potiphar worked in the police department for Pharaoh. And uh, as I was at his house, I'd, I just did whatever I could to do my part. And so early on, I would just do little jobs, help him out here and there, be his assistant when I could be his assistant. Pretty soon, he began to notice, though, that if he trusted me with things, they would get done and not just get done, they'd get done like really well. So Potiphar began to give me more and more. You know, he let me take his fancy camel out for a spin and make sure I brought it back in nice and clean. You know, anything that needed doing, I did it to the T. And so before too long, I became uh, Potiphar's number two. I got to run his whole household, finances, logistics, whatever it took. He didn't have to worry about anything except what he was going to watch on. Well, I guess they didn't have TV back then, but whatever they did, he could sit back and kick up his feet and do it. Go, I guess go chat with all the elders in town because I had everything under control. But then as everything seemed to be going better and I'd found my role in place and things were going all right, wouldn't you know it, but a woman would enter in. Pharaoh's wife, I mean not Pharaoh, Potiphar's wife began giving me these weird looks and began giving me this eye like, hmm, I think you look pretty good for a young man. So I'd try to stay as far away from her as I could. I'd try to be anywhere she wasn't. But one day, while I was doing stuff around the house, um, no one was around except me and her. And she kind of pinned me into a corner and said, come on, let's go to bed together, you young hunk. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. 
your husband trusts me with everything. He even trusts me to, to let you be his wife. You're his, you're not mine. You know, this, this isn't going to work. Well, she wouldn't have it. She grabbed my cloak, and I headed out of there as fast as I could. But when Potiphar got home, his wife told a story, told some kind of story that I'd abused her and taken advantage of her and all those kind of things. And who's he going to believe? Is he going to believe me, his servant and slave, or his wife? And so later that day, I, instead of finding myself running the show, I found myself in a stinky, yucky, ugh, prison cell, stuck. I'm at the bottom again. Gosh, that didn't work at all. What am I going to do now? I guess the only thing I can do is hope I can eventually get out on good behavior. So once again, I tried to do whatever I could to be helpful. I tried to help the warden and anything he needed, and, and he began to trust me too. And so before too long, he let me run all the logistics of the whole prison, what, what the prisoners did and where they went and how they went and the food they got and all those kind of things. He let me run the show. And in course of this time, I met two young fellas who were in there with me. They, one used to be the king's cupbearer and the wine, wine bearer. And the second one uh, was the, the baker for the king. And they both were in jail. And one night, they both had their own dreams. And this reminded me of my dream back when I was a teenager about 10 years ago. And so they began telling me their dreams. And I say, well, let me hear them. And they told me... So I told the wine bearer, guess what? What your dream means is you're going to be back in Pharaoh's court next week. You're going to be back at your old job doing what you've always done and Pharaoh's going to be happy to have you back. Now, when you go back, please, 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 please get me out of here. I don't want to be here anymore. I want to see my dad. I want to see my baby brother. I'm not sure about the other guys, but I at least want to see them. Please get me out of here. And then to the baker, he said, uh, for you, I'm sorry. I don't got very, have very good news for you. You're not going to get your job back. Uh, you're done for. And so it was. These things happened. The cupbearer went back and served the king once again and served Pharaoh in his court and, and totally forgot about me. And so for two more years, I sat there in the most severe conditions, um, just trying to figure out what to do next. I wasn't thinking about dreams anymore. I wasn't thinking about being in charge or being in power or having control or taking it. All that is gone. The only thing I hope is I can get out of this place somehow, some way, someday and maybe I can go home again and about that time Pharaoh has his own dream and as he shares that dream with his own people they uh, they can't answer it they don't know what it means they don't have a clue and it's at this point the cupbearer says uh duh uh, Pharaoh, I know this guy 
I was really supposed to tell you this two years ago, but I didn't, so I feel kind of bad. But if you go talk to this guy in jail, um, I had a dream about coming and being your servant again, and it came true, and this guy told me what would happen. And whatever he says is exactly what happened. I tell you what, if you can go get this guy, he will help you figure out your dream when nobody else can. None of your wise men, none of your priests, none of your prophets, this guy can. And so they finally go get me. They clean me up. They cut off all my hair. They shave me real good. They take me before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, I hear you can interpret dreams. And I say, no, 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 Pharaoh, you've heard wrong. If, if you've got a dream, great. It's God, though, the creator of the universe. He's the one that gives interpretations. It's not me. But if you share your dream with me, perhaps God will show us the answer. And so he shares this dream, right? And in the dream, there are seven fat, luscious cows ready to become T-bone and sirloin steaks. And they're looking great. But then after those seven cows come another seven cows who are thin and gaunt and look like they're almost in the grave. Yeah, they're not even good enough for jerky. And the seven lousy cows eat up the seven healthy cows so that there's nothing left and they still look lousy. And then he sees a second image as well. And this is a stalk of grain. Maybe it was like a corn. They didn't have corn back then, but maybe it was kind of like a corn stalk. And the ears on this stalk had seven ears like this big, right? And it looked fabulous, corn and grain stalk. And then up came another one, and this one had hardly anything on it. It was withered and dead. And the dead stalk ate the good stalk so that there was nothing left of the good grain. And as I heard this story, I said, Pharaoh, I'll tell you the deal. God has shown me what your dreams mean. He's told it to you twice to tell you it's really going to happen. And what it means is, is the seven good cattle and the seven good grains that's God's blessing for the next seven years in Egypt we're going to have more uh, prosperity more food than we know what to do with and that's the good news you've got seven great years in front of you but then the second that comes behind it are the seven bad years seven years where we're not going to be able to grow anything. We're not going to have, we'll have drought and dry season and everything is going to die. And, uh, and so the following seven years are going to be a real mess for all of Egypt and really all the ancient world. And so, Pharaoh, what I recommend is you need someone who's going to get us ready right here, right now in the seven good years so that when the bad years come, you'll have food stored up and you'll be okay, and the people will be okay. And Pharaoh turned to me and said, I like that. That's a great idea. I think I'm going to put you in charge. Because if you can figure out what this dream means, that means you're the guy to help me with this. I'm going to give you my signet ring. You're going to be the second most powerful person in Egypt. There is not going to be anyone greater than you except me. So I give this job to you, go get it done. And so for the next seven years, I spend my time there ruling Egypt. 
gathering 20% of the grain every year, storing it in vats and barns and granaries all around Egypt. And we get so much grain in, we can't even keep up with it anymore. We're just putting it wherever we can stick it for a rainy day. And uh, as that goes through, we've had seven great years. Well, then the seven lousy years begin. And again, I've got a job to do. People begin to come to me and say, I need grain and our family needs grain. And can you help us? We want to buy grain here and there and everywhere. And one day, when I was just doing my normal job, who should I see there in line? But my 10 brothers, my 10 older brothers. Now my jaw about drops to the floor, but I pick it back up quickly because it's clear they don't know who I am. And as they come in, they bow down before me and uh, prostrate. And that vision clicks. Ooh, this is it. Huh. No problem. Now I can pay them back for all the pain and all the toil and all the suffering I've been through. Woohoo! They don't even know who I am. I've got it out for them today. And so I tell them, who are you guys? What are you doing here? You're not from around these parts. You must be spies. I tell you what, I don't believe what you're telling me. You must be spies. And so I throw all my brothers in jail for three days and let them see how it feels. Because I've spent my time in prison. And so I want them to get it too. But after three days, I also realize I miss dad. I hadn't seen him now in probably 20 years. I miss my little brother. I haven't seen him either. And so it dawns on me that I've got to figure out a plan to make it work. I just can't leave my brothers in jail forever. And so I bring them out and I say, okay, I'll give you some grain, but this is how it's going to work. You've got to prove to me that you're telling me the truth. And by doing that, you say you've got a little brother at home uh, because one of your other brothers died. Well, I want to meet this little brother. And that's the only way you're going to see me again is if you bring your little brother with you next time. And they say, but dad will never let it. I say, I don't care about that. If you want any more grain from me, you got to bring your little brother, prove your story. And in the meantime, I'm going to take one of your brothers and throw him in jail. And let me take, ooh, let me take Simeon. I'm going to throw Simeon in jail. Now, they don't know, but Simeon was probably one of the meanest of my brothers ever to live. And so I, I figure he can sit in jail for a little while anyway. And so my brothers go off and they get halfway home and they don't know I also did another trick to them. I left all their money to pay for the grain in their pockets and in their pouch. So they get halfway home and they find that they didn't pay for any of the grain. And so now they're really scared because they think if we come back, not only will we be in trouble because he doesn't believe us, but now we'll be in trouble because we didn't pay for any of this grain that he gave us. So they go home, they tell their dad the situation and what happened, tell them that if they want more grain, they got to bring my little brother with them. And dad's like, no way. I already lost my favorite son, and now you want me to lose the only other child I have uh, from uh, my wife as well? No. 
He's staying right here with me. I don't care if we run out of food. I don't care what happens. You're not going back. Well, that lasts for several months. And finally, after several months, Dad caves in because the grain's running out. Our sheep are starting to die again. And we don't have enough food to keep feeding everybody. And so my brother Judah says, Listen, Dad, I'll take Benjamin with me. I'll watch out for him. I'll take care of him. And if I don't return him to you in whole peace, then you can take my life and my family and do whatever you want with us. And so grudgingly, Dad lets them come back again. And so they come back before me. This time, all 11 boys bowing at my feet. The moment I see him, I say to my servant, let's head over to my house. I want to meet with him more privately tonight. Here they think they're in big trouble because they know they still haven't paid for the first lot of grain. They're afraid I'm ready to throw them in the, in the prison for good. But instead, we have a feast, and we visit, and we chat, and they're kind of uneasy, not quite sure what's going on, especially because I spoil little Benjamin. I give him five times as much food as everybody else because I want to see the look on their faces. Do they hate him as much as they hated me? And I hear him talking behind my back, talking about we're being paid back for what we did to our brother that day 20 years ago. And I hear all these conversations going on. And finally, I, uh, I, give, them, uh, I give them their grain and send them on their way home and once again uh, say goodbye. But this time I leave my favorite cup in Benjamin's sack because I want to make sure they've treated Benjamin a whole lot better than they treated me. And so my baby brother, I put the cup in his sack. I send my guy out to go check on them when they're about a day headed home. They catch up to him and say, uh, I think you've got my master's cup. Whoever stole it has to be his slave for the rest of their life. They say, no, we didn't steal it. We'd never take anything from you. We tried to pay back what you offered us to pay before. We're good. They open all their sacks, and inside Benjamin's sack is the cup. And at this, they all fall apart. Judah pipes up and says, listen, take me as a slave. You've got to let him go home or dad is going to die. Dad can't live without this, his baby son. They all come back to me that night. They plead their case. And finally, Judah stands before me and says, how much the life of Benjamin is bound up with the life of his father. And I just can't take it anymore. I've had a year to pray about this moment. And in that moment, I kick everybody out except for me and my brothers. And at that part of the story, I tell them who I am. And here's how that part goes in Genesis 45. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard Joseph and Pharaoh's household heard about it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph! Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified 
at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land. For the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. God made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. So now hurry back and tell my father, come to Egypt that the family may be saved. The brothers were stunned. I got to hug Benjamin for the first time in a long, long time. We were all crying. We were all in tears. And I sent them home to get Dad. And Dad came with our whole clan, kids, grandkids, the whole family, and began to live in Goshen, the land of Egypt. I was able to save my family and take care of them. My dad was able to bless Pharaoh as a prophet for him. And as my father was able to bless my two sons and see the boys that I'd had in Egypt, he then blessed them and made them to be an inheritance for me. And so in all of this, uh, God took care of us. God worked it out. Early on, I was angry. I wanted my way. I wanted to pay back my brothers for all the pain they had caused. But as I had thought, as I had prayed, as I had worked through everything and saw what God had done from my visions as a kid through the journey of suffering and slavery and prison, I saw that God had brought me here for a purpose, to save my family. And so when my father died, we took him back to the land of Israel and buried him. And again, my brothers were worried what I would do to him next now that dad was no longer around. And so in chapter 50, I had another conversation with them because they sent me a message saying, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of your servants of God, of your father. And when this message came to Joseph, I wept. The brothers then came and threw themselves down before me and said, we are your slaves. But I replied to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. 
So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. Then he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. This is the story of Joseph. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Now, before we go, three quick points that I hope you'll find in the story. The first part of the story is this, that Joseph thought he was destined for greatness, and he was eager for greatness. But greatness did not come when Joseph tried to grasp it and claim it for his own. Greatness came on God's terms, God's ways, and those ways included much suffering and humbling. And then the second thing that we see here is that God accomplished more good than Joseph could ever ask or imagine out of his life and situation. And it's that good he began to see and realize. And often in our lives, things happen to us that we don't understand. Things happen in our world, things happen in our church, and we wrestle with it. And our vision may be like Joseph's, I just want to be in charge. That's what we hope for. But brothers and sisters, what God is doing is God is doing something bigger and grander and greater and better. You see that? God had arranged Joseph's life and everything he went through providentially so that Joseph could save the family of God and that that family of God could have a safe place to grow to become God's people, a new nation. That was what God was up to. God was building a family into a nation. It wasn't just about Joseph being in charge. And as Joseph begins to realize that God did way more good than any bad his brothers did, that Joseph was able to let go of grasping for the future. Brothers and sisters, so often we think our will must be God's will, and what we want must be what God wants. But God knows a whole lot better than I do. God knows a whole lot better than you do. And one of the things Joseph had to learn was to kind of let go and let God determine his future. To determine his future in Potiphar's house, to determine his future in prison. And in the same way for us in our lives, when tough things happen, we can't force our will to be done. We have to instead let God's will be done and trust that his plan is better and bigger than my plan. And uh, I think that is one of the great lessons Joseph learned. It's one of the reasons why, thirdly, Joseph did not pay back his brothers for all that they had done to him. In that last bit of verses, they asked Joseph, please forgive us because we shouldn't have sold you into slavery all those years ago. 
And as Joseph, in the midst of his tears, was able to respond, listen, guys, I've forgiven you. Because I realize now that what happened wasn't really your doing. It was God's doing through you. And because of that, I forgive you. Brothers and sisters, in our journey currently, over the next several months and in the past couple of months, we are on a journey of faith. We don't know the exact future that faith will take or the exact direction that will take. Lessons I hope we'll learn from this story is, number one, God is in charge and we can trust him. God is in charge and we can trust him. We don't have to grasp and make sure that we get it done. Instead, like Joseph, our job is just be faithful day in and day out. Do our best day in and day out. Love one another day in and day out. Serve one another day in and day out. And if we will do our best to do that, God takes care of the rest. Amen? And then the other lesson is, is in seasons like this, we can, like Joseph's family, get a little hurtful and dysfunctional and do some mean things to one another, either unintentionally or intentionally or who knows what. And the second lesson from this story is this, that in these moments, we trust God to be at work doing the bigger thing. And we pray that we, like Joseph, can let it go can forgive, can love, can hug, and can, uh, can keep on being the family of God here at Conyers First, no matter what the future holds. And so I love this story of God's providence. I love because God has not left us alone. And we're not here to tell God what is best to do. Instead, we're here to see what God wants to do and follow him and be faithful to him and love him and love each other. And if we can follow the model of Joseph, our journey will be that much better. Um, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come.